Thanks for listening to the Aspire Church Podcast. Visit us at aspirejacks.org to access additional resources or to learn more about the ministries of Aspire Church. <laughs> I mean, if somebody was going to offer you uh, 50 bucks to say that your favorite color was red when your favorite color was blue, like that doesn't seem like that bad, does it? Like, I, I like red. I mean, blue is my favorite, but I do like red. And favorite is a subjective term, right? So I could easily, for 50 bucks, if any of you want to give me 50 bucks after the service, I'll easily tell you that red is my favorite color, even though I prefer blue. But here's the point. This project demonstrates that most people have a price, that there is a price. There is a financial tipping point at which you are willing to change your beliefs. The question is, how far will people go in order to do that? How much money would somebody offer it and how much money would it take? And here's the principle that's true in this, that's, that you see played out so beautifully in this video. Your heart will follow your wallet. Your heart will follow your wallet. In fact, the necklace lady would not be willing to change. She was not willing to say she hated necklace for just a mere 200 shekels or even for 400 shekels. But do you notice how quick she said she hated necklaces at 800 shekels? I mean, she was really quick. There was a tipping point that she had where there was a dollar amount that was going to change what she, or at least she was going to change what she said she believed by saying that she hated necklaces. And this is, you can find this in history too. I mean, if, if any of you are American history buffs, you know, Benedict Arnold actually fought for the revolution. Like he was all in. He really did believe in the cause of the American revolution. You know, he changed his allegiance, obviously the most famous trader in American history, Benedict Arnold, for 20,000 pounds, he sold out West Point to the British army and became somebody who was working for the British against the Americans. He had a financial tipping point. And of course, probably the most famous of all, Judas Iscariot, right? Judas Iscariot was willing to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He had followed Jesus for all those years. He was a firsthand witness to the resurrection of Lazarus, to all these miracles, Jesus walking on water. And yet, there was still a financial tipping point for Judas Iscariot. For 30 pieces of silver, he was willing to trade Jesus in. Now, as we are getting closer to the crucifixion, if you've been journeying with us here at Aspire Church, you know, we've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we're gonna, getting ready to hit the climax where Jesus' arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. But as we have been approaching this point, Luke has continued to highlight something that it might be a little bit difficult to pick up week after week, but I want to point it out to you because this seems to be something that Luke is focusing on more and more as we near the cross, and that is the effects of money. Money plays a significant part in the story of the crucifixion, not just with Judas Iscariot, but really leading up to it. Let me give you a, a picture of what I mean as, as Luke is setting this table for us as we approach the crucifixion. If you go back to chapter 18, which is uh, just, just a couple chapters from where we'll be today, we'll be in Luke chapter 20 today, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there. But, but in Luke chapter 18, Jesus had an encounter with someone that the Bible calls the rich young ruler. Now, we don't know how much money this guy had, but he was rich by the standards of the culture in the day. 
and he wanted to be one of Jesus' disciples. And this was a good guy, just so that everybody understands. Jesus even said this was a good guy. He, he had kept the law since he was a kid. He earnestly was seeking after God. He, he really did believe. We don't know how long he had been following Jesus or checking out Jesus' message, message or Jesus' teachings. But he comes to Jesus and says, hey, you know, I'd like to be one of your disciples. I'd like to be a part of this group of people. And Jesus is like, great, you are just the kind of guy that we are looking for. Hey, there's just one thing I need you to do. I need you to go and sell everything you have and and give it to the poor and then you can come and be my disciple. And the Bible says this guy went away sad because he had a lot of wealth. He was not willing to trade in all of his wealth in order to be one of Jesus' disciples and so he walked away. What's really interesting is in the very next chapter, Luke chapter 19, uh, Luke tells another story of a different rich guy. This rich guy was not a good guy. He was, in fact, a very bad guy. He was the chief tax collector in the city of Jericho, and he, which meant he had other tax collectors under him. He was Jewish, which meant that he was a traitor because he was working for the Roman government to collect these taxes. And, and this guy was hated by everybody in the city of Jericho. Well, Jesus was coming to town. Zacchaeus wanted to catch a, catch a glimpse of Jesus, so he climbed up in the tree. Jesus sees him and says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to your house today. Now, unprovoked, Zacchaeus makes an incredible shift. He says, hey, I am going to give half of everything I own to the poor. And you think, well, half, you know, Jesus just asked the other guy to give everything away, and Zacchaeus can, but listen to what he was going to do with the other half of the money. He said, and if I have stolen anything from anybody, which he had, I'm going to pay it back four times what I took for them. In other words, Zacchaeus was saying, I'm going to go into debt. I'm going to go into poverty in order to make things right and give to the poor. And Jesus' response to him was, salvation has come to your house today. There is something going on here financially. There is a financial tipping point. The the rich young ruler was not willing to give up that money in order to follow Jesus. But Zacchaeus, who was a rich man and not a good man by any measure of standards of the day, was willing to give everything away. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your house today. There was a tipping point. And then in in chapter 20, just uh, last week, we looked at a scenario, another financial scenario where the religious leaders are trying to trick Jesus, they're trying to trap him, they're trying to somehow find a way to eliminate him. And so they came up with this ingenious trap for Jesus. They asked Jesus, hey, is it lawful to pay taxes to Rome or not? Now this was a loaded question because if Jesus had said, yes, you should pay your taxes, then all the Jews who really despised the Roman government were gonna see Jesus as selling out to Rome. But if Jesus said, no, you shouldn't pay your taxes, then the religious leaders could go to the Romans and say, hey, this guy's inciting a revolution and a riot. So either way, they thought they had him. But Jesus said, hey, do you have a coin? Anybody have a coin in your pocket? And so they pull out a coin, and Jesus is like, hey, whose image is on that coin? To which the answer was Caesar. And not just his image, but a statement that said, basically, Augustus Caesar is God. That's what it says on the coin. To which you would wonder, why is a good Jew carrying around that money that is clearly idolatrous? I mean, Jesus just called him out on it and said, hey, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And that was a tough lesson for the religious leaders because because hearts follow wallets. Your heart is going to follow your money. And Jesus knew this about the religious leaders. And he was calling them out on where their heart was. And so when we get to Luke chapter 20, verse 45, we see Jesus give his disciples a warning. Now, 
he is warning them about these religious leaders. But I, I want you to hear past the warning about the religious leaders to the real core of what Jesus is warning his disciples about. Because this warning, I think, is the same warning that Jesus has for all of us today, especially in the year 2023 in the United States of America, probably the richest culture among the richest people that the world has ever known. Jesus gives them a warning. He says, guys, you need to be careful. You need to watch out. You need to be very, very careful. And it's not just about the religious leaders that he was dealing with 2,000 years ago. It's about something far more serious that still affects us today. If you have a Bible, look with me at Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 45. And we're actually going to go over the chapter break into chapter 21 here in just a second. And here's what Jesus said. In the hearing of all the people. Now, basically what this means is Jesus did not try to say this quietly or subtly. Okay, Jesus, remember what's just happened. They are all, all these religious leaders are just questioning Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus. There's a big crowd there. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, guys, come away with me for just a second. Let me give you a warning here. No, no, no. He does this out in public in front of everybody. All of his accusers, the whole crowd, he says this. He calls his disciples, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware. Now, this is important. This is really important because Jesus' time with his disciples is getting very, very short. And as his time gets shorter, his words become much more intentional about what he wants to say to his disciples. He knows he doesn't have much time. So he wants to take advantage of every opportunity to give his disciples the most important information that they're going to need because he knows that they are both, they're about to face a huge challenge as he is executed. And so he says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. Now, let me just tell you what that would have meant in, in this day, in this age. A long robe would have symbolized that you were loaded. Because if you were going to buy a long robe, it was expensive. And these robes weren't just long, they were detailed. They were embroidered. They had all kinds of fancy stuff on them. It was a symbol of wealth. I mean, it's like walking around in Gucci or Versace or whatever it is that is the, is the current sim symbol that somebody has a lot of money or has a lot of wealth. These robes represented this. And Jesus is saying, hey guys, you need to beware of the scribes. Beware of them who like to walk around in these long robes. And not just that they walk around in long robes. They love greeting people in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts. Now, this is really interesting because it's a little different culture than we have today, but back in this day in the synagogue, um, one of the things that you would do and one of the ways that the synagogue would, would raise money would be that they would sell the pews where you got to sit. Now, the most expensive seats were in the front of the sanctuary. Now, if we tried to do this in a Baptist church, the most expensive would have to be the back rows, right? So, but, but in that day and age, it was the front. They would sell the front. And so they would buy their seat, and it would be a seat of honor because it would be down front because when they came in wearing their long flowing robes, they walked down the aisle, and the closer they were to the front, the more people got to see them and see how rich they were. So Jesus said, hey, be, watching, be careful because these people wear their long robes, they buy these best seats, they want their place of honor at feast, but look how they got their wealth. Look at this next line. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Ouch. Now don't miss this. Jesus just said about a hated, reviled tax collector, salvation has come to your house today. And he's saying about these religious leaders, the, the best 
people that anybody in that town knew, their, their, their comeuppance is coming to them. They're about to get what they deserve. Why? Because they were rich? No, 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 no. Because of what they were doing with their wealth and the way they acquired their wealth. How did they acquire their wealth? Well, Jesus said they devoured widows' houses. They were taking advantage of poor people. You see, all that wealth and that opulence, they had gotten it by dishonest means. And then we go on into chapter 21. Now, your chapter breaks in your Bible are not divinely inspired. There was some editor back, you know, centuries ago who was putting chapters and verses, put those in. Those are not original. And this is one of those chapter breaks that honestly is not a very good chapter break. Because what happens next comes right on the heels of what Jesus warned his disciples about. And look what it says in chapter 21. Jesus looked up. So what he just said, beware of these people. Beware of these people walking around in their long robes. They got their money from devouring widows' houses. Beware of them. And as he looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Now, we've got something at our church called the joy boxes. Very good. And uh, that is not original to us, okay? Uh, The idea of passing a plate up and down the aisle was not the way that churches and synagogues collected their offering. It was, in fact, much more like we do it today since COVID. You know, we put the the offering boxes in the sides there, and we'd say people put it. It It's the same way they did it in this day and age. So people who were going to give money to the the temple or give money to the synagogue, when they would come into the church, they would put their money into the box as they came in or as they went out. But it wasn't like us today. You know, you can do it on your phone. You can write on a little piece of paper a dollar amount. It can be any dollar amount. You put it in an envelope and put it in the box, and nobody really knows what you gave. But in that day and age, uh, it was not like, currency was not like it is today. If you were going to put a lot of money in the offering box, it meant you were going to put a lot of gold and silver in the offering box, and it was going to make some noise. And these same people who wanted the best seats in the church and these same people who wore the long robes also wanted people to know how much money they were giving. And so they would make a big show of putting their offering in the offering boxes. Is The louder it was and the longer it took, it meant the more religious and righteous you must be because you are giving a lot of money to the church. You are giving some money. Now, now in fairness, let me just give you a little context uh, of what was going on in this stage. People in this time really did believe that wealth was a sign of God's blessing. So the richer you were, that just meant that God was blessing you more and more and more. And so you wanted to, as an act of worship, you wanted to demonstrate how much God's blessed me. Look at my great robe. Look at my great seat down front. Look at how much money I'm putting in the offering box. This was the idea that was going on. The problem with that whole mindset and mentality is that you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. You can find the fact that God has given us, has entrusted to us the wealth that we have. And what we have is a blessing from God. That part is true. But the idea of saying that somehow by celebrating your wealth that you are bringing glory to God, you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. And you would think 2,000 years that religious people had gotten over that, but we haven't, have we? I mean, all you have to do is just look at social media, follow the news, watch some online things, and you can see churches where this is still being taught. And it is a lie. It is not true. There's a, there's a social media feed on some different pl- platforms called Preachers in Sneakers. Anybody ever seen this? This is the idea. So they, they, they follow all these uh, famous preachers, and they take pictures of their sneakers because their sneakers are hundreds and hundreds of dollars. 
It's just a modern day example of exactly what Jesus is talking about here. It might not be a long robe anymore. Now it's a $400 pair of Nikes. I mean, it's just this whole idea that somehow we virtue signal our wealth and we think that we're bringing glory to God by doing it. But God said, that is not, you're not bringing glory to me. You're just bringing attention to yourself. You're just draw, trying to draw attention to yourself. And Jesus is saying, watch out for these people. So they're putting the money in the offering. They're putting it all in there. And he looks up, he sees them putting their money in the gifts, and he sees, saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, and I don't know this, but here's my guess. I don't think anybody else in that entire building noticed this woman except Jesus. And I think if Jesus had not called it out, nobody would have seen it. Nobody. Because here's what I think probably happened with this woman. I mean, just put yourself in her position, right? All you've got are these two small copper coins. Meanwhile, what do you see around you? You see opulence. You see wealth. People in long robes. They're dropping coin after coin after coin in. They're just drawing attention to themselves. And you've only got two small copper coins that you're going to put in. My guess is you're going to slip over there as quietly as you can. You're going to try to be unnoticed. You're going to put those copper coins in and you're going to move away from the offering box as fast as you can get away from it. Why? Because all those other people are making you embarrassed about what you don't have to put in the offering box. And Jesus, of all the people, notices this woman and draws attention. Guys, look at the poor widow. And, and they're like, what, what poor widow? Where, where, where? All we can see is the wealth. All we can see are the rich people. But Jesus looks at this woman and he, he points her out to the disciples and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. To which Judas the accountant said, that's impossible. That does not make any mathematical sense, Jesus. Just leave me to handle the finances. I got this. You clearly don't understand how finances work. There is no way that woman put in more money than those rich people. It's impossible. She said, nope. I'm telling you, that woman put in more money than all the other people combined. That, and the, the disciples are like, this doesn't make any sense. So how does this work, Jesus? How does it work? And Jesus said, I'll tell you how it works. For they all contributed out of their abundance, meaning that they had extra. They contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, this is an incredible story. And it comes at an incredible time in Jesus' ministry as he is about to go to the cross. As one of his own disciples is about to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. And this is one of, of many times that Jesus talked about money to his disciples. He talked about money to his disciples a lot. In fact, he spoke more about money to his disciples than he talked about heaven and hell combined. Now, why does that matter? Why is that important? Because if you think that the amount of words that Jesus invested on a subject somehow indicates the importance of that subject, what that would tell you is Jesus must have thought something about money in the human heart are really important for us to know. That's why he talked about it so much. This is why Jesus spent so much time talking about it. But here's what's amazing. Jesus talked about it more than any other subject, but he never asked people for it. Never, not one time. You can read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, through all the accounts. And as much as he talked about it, Jesus never asked people for it. Because Jesus wasn't trying to get money from people. Jesus was trying to keep money from getting people. Let me say that one more time. Jesus wasn't trying to get money from people. He was trying to keep money from getting people. And what Jesus taught about money still applies to us 
today. In Jesus' day, wealth was considered a sign of, their, of God's blessing. But Jesus wants them to know it's not just about what God has blessed you with, it's about what it does to your heart. So you need to be careful. Jesus warned his disciples about all these wealthy people and all that they were doing. He's saying, guys, be very, very careful. Be very careful, not just of these religious leaders who are devouring widows' houses. These same religious leaders had probably taken advantage of the very woman who only had two copper coins to put in the offering. In fact, according to Jesus, some of the wealth that those wealthy people were putting in the offering box probably came from money they'd stolen from that poor widow who only had two copper coins to put in. She's saying, beware, not just of them, but beware of how they got to where they are. Because something inside of their heart changed, something inside of them shifted, and it changed their whole attitude. How could they go from loving God so much as they claimed to love in God to clearly loving something else? Jesus said, beware of it. These men were rich, and they gained their wealth by robbing the vulnerable. Their hearts were far away from God. Their wealth in the offering box was not about God, it was about them. And Jesus wanted his disciples to beware of these people. And he wanted his disciples to know what I think he still wants us to know and wants you to know as a Christian today. Your heart will follow your money. Your heart will follow your money. In fact, this is so important, let's just all say it together. Your heart will follow your money. And just so that we know you're not talking about somebody else, let's make it my heart. My heart will follow my money. It will. And it does. God's greatest competition for your heart is not Satan, it's your money. And this is why Jesus pointed out how these religious leaders were using their wealth and said, beware of this. In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said this, no servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Money. But that's not what we would expect him to say. We would expect him to say, you cannot serve God and Satan. Make your choice. You're going to serve, you're going to serve God or you're going to serve the devil. I mean, that's like, that's an easy test. That's what we'd expect. It's not what he said. He said, you cannot serve God and money. In Matthew 19, verse 24, Jesus said this, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That, my friend, is a very difficult teaching. Except the fact that none of us think we're rich, right? I mean, rich is always somebody else. Rich is always the other guy. Because isn't there always somebody who has more money than you do? The answer is yes. And so you are always thinking that somebody else is rich. So the problem with that is we tend to think that we're inoculated from verses like this. Well, Jesus isn't talking about me because I'm not rich. So I'm good on this. Except that if you right now are in this room and you have a place to sleep tonight outside of the elements, if you know where your next meal is coming from, my friend, in terms of global wealth, you are rich. And Jesus isn't just comparing your wealth to the other people who live in Jacksonville, Florida. He's comparing your wealth on a global level because Jesus loves everybody always, not just the rich people that live in the United States. So when he's talking about this, he's warning, he's talking to you and he's talking to me. No matter how you would define your own wealth, Jesus is saying you are rich. And he wants you to understand, your heart is always going to follow your wallet. He said this in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hearts follow wallets. Uh, let me give you two examples of how um, I know this is true in my own life. 
So um, back in the uh, 1990s when the internet was new, I was on the cutting edge of technology. I had my Commodore 64, baby. I could log in on dial-up. It only took me about 10 minutes to get on AOL. I was hot stuff. Well, my dad had, had heard about this new company. Now you could you know, buy stocks online. So we decided, hey, let's put $100 on this, on this new technology, something that's going to be coming out in, 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 you know, in the car industry real soon. We'll, we'll put some money. So I didn't care anything about this until that we put that $100. And so you know what happened all of a sudden? Suddenly every day I was spending an hour logging online just to see how's the stock doing today. You know why I was suddenly interested in something I had no interest in the day before? Because my heart followed my money. It does. Hearts follow wallets. You can be totally uninterested in something and suddenly you put your money in it and you're going to check it every day. Why? Because your heart follows your money. That's why. Just about a year ago, uh, my son Caleb and I were talking about cryptocurrency. You know, we're talking about, we just said, hey, let's just get a crypto wallet and put some money in it and see what happens. I had no interest in cryptocurrency before. Suddenly I'm checking that app every day. Why? Because hearts follow wallets. They just do. Your heart will follow your wallet. Wherever you put your money, there's a little piece of your heart that's going there, and you are suddenly interested in something you have had no interest in before because your heart will follow your money, and Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. Now, it's not just about uh, a stock or it's not just about crypto. Let me tell you another example of how my heart has followed my wallet. Um, when, when our first two children were young, Caleb was probably about three and Emma was about one, we were uh, at a church up in the Atlanta area, and a children's choir came to our church. And all of these children were international. Uh, they were from an international school. They were all orphans. And they were trying to raise support for their orphanage and for the care of these children. It was a Christian organization. And so they were trying to get children sponsorships. And so Sherry and I hosted a couple of these kids in our home for a couple days while they were in our church, and we grew to love them. And, and so uh, we decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sponsor a child Caleb's age and a child Emma's age. And so we sponsored a little three-year-old boy from India and a little one-year-old girl from Uganda. And for more than 20 years, we sent a little piece of our heart every month to India and to Uganda. Children that we did not know their names before, suddenly we're interested in them. We care about their education. We care about if they have enough food to eat. We care about if they have medical, if they have the, the proper medical treatment. And for more than 20 years, we sent a little piece of our heart to India and to Uganda every month. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to change the direction of our heart. You see, your heart is going to follow your wallet. That's how it's designed. That's just part of human nature. And God knew this. This is why Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, said this in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, now just stop for just one second and let me, let me just tell you what this verse doesn't say. Because this is one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. This verse does not say money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. Money is neither righteous nor evil. Money is just money. That's all it is. What is righteous or evil is the way we use our money, is the way we direct our money. So Paul is saying the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this, what's that next word? Craving. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
I mean, this is a warning that is not just consistent in Jesus' teaching, it's consistent throughout the New Testament. And Jesus never said that having money made a person evil, nor did he say that poverty made a person righteous. You can find examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of rich people who loved God and served him faithfully. And you can find examples in the Old and the New Testament of poor people who made terrible decisions and didn't love God. It has nothing to do with the amount of money. It has to do with where your heart is and how it follows the money that you have. It wasn't the widow's poverty that made her righteous or the religious, we- the religious leader's wealth that made them sinners. It had something else to do with what was going on in the inside. It's why Jesus said this woman gave way more money than those people did. There was um, an event that we had at the church years ago, and I can can never come across this passage of Scripture and reading it without thinking about this example because it it suddenly became so alive and real to me. Um, Shortly after coming to Aspire Church San Marco, we entered into uh, uh, a campaign to raise some money just to help meet some of the physical needs of our building and the space that we have. And so we got everybody together and cast vision and said, hey, just pray and whatever God puts on your heart, give that money to help us meet this need. And so we presented the need and people gave whatever they were going to give or pledge whatever they were going to give. And it was great. It was great. And God provided and we were able to meet the needs and, and uh, we still enjoy that today. But after the event, one of the staff members came up to me and said, Gary, you need to see something. And this staff person was carrying uh, one of those pink envelopes that are in front of you right now, was carrying one of those little pink envelopes, and there was some writing on it, but I couldn't read the writing. I just couldn't, I couldn't make out what it said. But fortunately, somebody had seen what had happened and knew. And one of our uh, oldest uh, Corinne members, uh, if many of you know, we've got um, a, a, a tight relationship with a group of refugees from Burma, the Corinne people are part of our church and meet at a campus in Arlington. And they had just started coming. These were, they were political refugees, religious, they experienced religious persecution. Uh, they were poor even by their own country standards. So then they get to America and they're, they're just not very wealthy at all. But one of the oldest members of our Corinne congregation had tried to write on there the best she could in English font and letters uh, to indicate, but inside the envelope, were two $50 bills, two $50 bills. Now that was not anywhere near the largest gift given that night. But I knew that this woman had given out of poverty, extreme poverty, to meet this need. So I decided I'm gonna go, I wanna go thank her. So I went to her apartment and I walked into her apartment. She had almost no furniture. She had very little resources at all and she was sitting on the floor. So I sat on the floor and we talked together best we could and we prayed together and she indicated to me she wanted me to wait. And She went back to the back and she came back out with another $50 bill that she wanted to give to the church. And, and I remember thinking that, that her generosity came from a place of such love and appreciation for all that God had done to her that no matter what anybody else gave, I knew, I just knew that God had done something beautiful through this woman. And here's what my takeaway from this was. And this has been a lesson that I have kept that this woman taught me. She has since gone to be with the Lord, but this lesson sticks with me. That the capacity for generosity has nothing to do with how how much money you have. Your capacity to be generous has nothing to do with the money that's in your bank account. 
That coin that the woman gave in this, in this account that Luke tells us was called a lepta. It was a tiny copper coin. It was, it was the least valuable coin of Jesus' day. In fact, it was worth about 1 64th of a day's wages. Let me put that in modern dollars for you. It was worth a little less than $3 is what this woman put in the offering plate. And Jesus said it was all that she had. The generosity of this widow should teach every one of us that our capacity to be generous isn't determined by the money in our account, but by the love in our heart, because your heart follows your wallet. Listen, and this is going to sting, and if you think I'm only saying this because I'm trying to get money from you, I'm not trying to get money from you. I don't, I'm not. Don't, don't give your money here. But please listen to what I'm about to say. If you're not generous, it's not because you don't have enough money. It's because you don't have enough love. That's just true. But here's what I know, because I've fallen into this trap too, right? I would be more generous if, fill in the blank. I would be more generous if I got a raise. I would be more generous if I was making this much money. I would be more generous if I won the lottery. Somebody asked me once, if somebody won the lottery and tied the money, would the church take it? I said, you better believe we'd take it. We're going to redeem that money. But, but here's the thing, here's the thing. If you are waiting for some financial amount to be in a bank account somewhere or some financial level that you get to to be generous, I can promise you this, you will never be generous. Because if you're not generous with the little bit you have, you'll never be generous with more. Why? Because your heart is always going to follow your money. It is just a law of human nature. Paul wrote one time a letter to a very wealthy church. The Corinthian church was super, super rich. And he had been going from church to church trying to collect money to send back to Jerusalem because uh, the church in Jerusalem was going through a really tough time. There was poverty and there was a famine going on. And so Jesus was, or Paul was going around trying to collect this money. And he'd gone to this poor church in Macedonia and they had given an amazing offering. And these people in Corinth had said, yeah, we're going to give you some money. Yeah, we're going to give you some money. We're just waiting until the end of the month or we're, you know, we're going to wait until we cash out this stock or whatever and they're going to give this money. But the money never came. So finally, Paul writes them a letter, and listen to what he says about the Macedonian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, which makes absolutely no financial sense whatsoever. How does joy and poverty equal generosity? Well, if you think it has something to do with a dollar amount, it's impossible. But this has nothing to do with a dollar amount. It has everything to do with joy. Their, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They gave beyond their ability. Why? Because it had nothing to do with how much money it had to do, they had. It had everything to do with how much love they had. And listen, here's the, here's the secret. And this is super practical. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to believe the Bible. You don't have to believe anything I say, but, but this little principle is so true. If you want to move your heart, if there is some way that you want to move your heart, the best way to move your heart is to move your money. And your heart will follow it. It happens every time. And so my question today, if you are somebody who is following Jesus, so if you're not following Jesus, this is not for you, but if you're following Jesus, my question is, how invested are you in the things Jesus cared about? How, how invested? How much do you care about those things? How much have you invested your heart in the things of Jesus? Here's, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Begin shifting your money and see how God begins to change your heart. If you're thinking, well, I, I don't know why my heart isn't moved. 
Maybe your money needs to move first. Just try it and see what happens. We, we have a, a little principle at Aspire Church that we teach, and it's, uh, it's a principle that has to do with your finances. And it is just this. And it's all P's, so that'll help you remember it. Practice, prioritized, percentage-based, progressive generosity. Practice, prioritized, percentage-based, progressive generosity. And, and I'm not telling you this because, again, we're not trying to get money from you. We're just trying to do what Jesus wanted to do, which is to keep money from getting you. Let me talk about each of those words, practice. First of all, the definition of practice is to perform an activity or exercise a skill repeatedly or regularly to improve or maintain proficiency. This is why doctors practice medicine or lawyers practice law. People who follow Jesus should practice generosity. Why? Because the most famous verse in the Bible points this very fact out. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the defining characteristics of God is his incredible generosity. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then we as followers of Jesus should be people who practice generosity. And giving is a discipline. And like any muscle, if you want it to grow, you have to exercise it. Practice it. If you think, well, I'm just not a very generous person. Okay, well, start somewhere. You know, you got to go to the gym for the first time at some point. So just start somewhere and allow the practice to repeat itself. And as you do, God will begin to redirect your heart. But we practice prioritized generosity. Prioritized meaning that it's the first thing we give, not the leftovers that we give. Because this is a demonstration that by giving giving to God first, it's a demonstration of faith and trust that God will provide for all your needs. It is also an acknowledgement that everything you have has been given to you by God. He has given you everything. And so we give back to him, not the leftovers, but we give to him a prioritized gift. It's the first thing that we give. It's amazing how if you try to wait and say, well, I'll do everything I need to do financially and then I will be generous at the end, you're never gonna be generous because there won't ever be anything left. But here's the miracle. If you prioritize your generosity, it's funny how everything else just just, just falls into place after that. Jesus said this very thing when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. But it requires faith. And it's going to exercise faith to practice prioritized generosity. But it's not just practicing prioritized generosity, it's practicing prioritized percentage-based generosity. Let me tell you something that I know about everybody in this room financially. I know know it's true about everybody watching or listening online. Here's what I know is true about you. You live on a certain percentage of your income. You do. The question is, do you know what percentage of your income you live on? For some of you, the answer is no, or it has been no in your past, and you've ended up living on 104, 105, 106% of your income, which equals debt, by the way, right? That you just end up in debt. See, it's just good financial practice for you to know what percentage of your income are you going to live on. And part of the guardrail we set up is by saying, I am going to choose to live on a certain percentage of my income, and I'm going to be generous with the rest. So how much is enough of your income? I mean, let's, we all said that like, God gave it everything we've got. So do you need to live on more than God gave you and live on 102% of your income? Or can you live on 99? Or can you live on 98? Or can you live on 95? What percentage? You pick the percentage and then decide, hey, I'm going to be generous with this percentage of my income. And here's what's amazing about this, that generosity helps to create guardrails in our life against greed and against debt. 
There is a study done back in 2013, a financial study. It was a study of the financial health of the American household. And one of the things that they discovered, listen, you don't have to, you don't have to believe in Jesus to believe this. It's just a study they did. The people, there's a direct correlation between people's financial health and people who give to charity. In other words, people who give a percentage of their income away are financially healthier than people who live on their whole income. It's just true. It's just true. So we practice prioritized percentage-based progressive giving. Progressive, what does that mean? Are you increasing your standard of living at the expense of your standard of giving? Ouch. Now listen, I don't think God has a problem with you buying nice nice things. I, I, I I don't think God wants you to necessarily say, you know, give it all away. Although if that's what God's calling you to do, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. But here's what I do know. In America today, in 2023, our standard of living and our expectations for our lifestyle just keeps going up and up and up and up. Keeping up with the Joneses, right? And the question for believers is this. Is my standard of living coming at the expense of my standard of giving? In other words, am I increasing my standard of living more than I'm increasing my standard of giving. And I don't know the answer for you. I just know that this is a guardrail in my own life that reminds me that my heart is gonna follow my wallet. So like Jesus said, I need to beware. And I need to make sure that I am increasing my generosity over time. Practice, prioritize, percentage-based, progressive generosity. And listen, please, please, I know some of you might be your first time here, you're like, oh, I went went to a Baptist church and he preached about money. Just what I expected. I, I, look, you can ask anybody around here, this is not a subject that we cover except when we get to it as we're going through the scripture and here it is. But here's why it matters. If Jesus talked this much about it, it should matter to you and it should matter to me. And this is not Jesus or me or this church trying to get anything from you. It's something we want for you. We want you to experience the financial freedom that comes from following you're following Jesus in the way he taught us to handle our money. If you don't trust this church or any church to do that, find some organization you do trust and practice generosity there because this is not an attempt for us to get your money from you. This is an attempt, like Jesus' attempt, to keep your money from getting you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your generosity towards us, that even while we were still sinners, you gave your son for us. Lord, and that generosity is worth more than any amount of silver or gold we could ever acquire. And yet, for whatever reason, the church in America today um, is, uh, we are among the wealthiest believers that have ever lived on the planet. And, And God, I just pray that you would convict our hearts, Lord, to... to to this simple truth that our heart is gonna follow that money. So God, help us to know what it means. Give us the desire of our heart and then help us to have the faith to invest our money where we know our heart should be. God, I pray that for each person here today. Lord, for the widow who has just a couple of pennies in her purse to the wealthiest person in the room. Father, I I pray that our generosity would not be defined by our 
by the money in our account, but it would be defined by the love in our heart. And I pray that the love in our heart would grow and grow and grow and grow to the point that our generosity makes absolutely no economic sense. And that would be a spotlight that we shine back on you for your generosity to us. God, may we be a generous people. Lord, I pray that people in our community and people around us might look and and they might even say, God, that they don't believe what we believe, but they're overwhelmed by our generosity. Lord, may that be our testimony for your glory and for the good of your kingdom. Move in our hearts, God. Speak to us now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Aspire Church Podcast. If what you've heard has been helpful, please subscribe and rate our podcast and share it with a friend. If you'd like to support the ministry of Aspire Church or want someone to contact you personally, please visit our website at aspirejacks.org. 